Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Mark 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there. We're going to be back in our Mark series today. I appreciate Pastor Jeffrey filling in for me last week. I'm still a little bit hoarse, but in the first service, it got better as I went. So hopefully that will happen in this service as well. I want us, before we go to the sermon today, just to stop and, uh, and pray for our friends, brothers and sisters, the people of Ukraine. And you guys are fully aware of what's going on there and uh, Russia's attack on them. And so I want us just to stop. Would you join me? And let's just go before the Lord and ask the Lord to bless them and, and help them today. Father, we don't really know how to pray except to know that you care about the people of Ukraine like you care about all people. And we care about what you care about. And so we care for them as well, though we don't know them. But Father, we pray today for the end of this conflict and war. We pray that no more lives will be lost. We pray that, that the things that have been damaged and destroyed could be restored. We pray for a miracle, God, because only you can do that. So we bring our request to you and we leave it at your feet. Father, we, we love the people that you love. And so we're thankful to know that there are brothers and sisters in Ukraine. We pray for them. We pray that they would have wisdom and discernment now and in the days ahead to know how to help their, their citizens, their fellow citizens. And God, we just pray that you'd put an end to this conflict like only you can do. Um, we hate war. We hate to see lives destroyed uh, for the sake of political gain or power or whatever the motivation is. It's never good or right. And so, Father, we pray that you would heal the land today of Ukraine and stop this conflict. And we pray these things because you are capable in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to be in Mark 2 this morning. And so um, uh, we, we continue to every week look at, at the gospel of Mark and see the, the things about Jesus's life and what Jesus did. And so today we have an interesting story. So if you would take your Bible and turn to Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to read this passage aloud. If you'd stand with me out of reverence for God and for his word. We're just going to get right to it this morning. Verses 1 through 12. You can follow along silently as I read aloud. It says, when he entered Capernaum, Jesus, again, after some days, it was reported that he was home. So many people gathered together that there was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves and said to them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Thank you. You can be seated. So Jesus is back in Capernaum. And the Bible says very clearly that he's doing something. He is speaking the word of God to them. Now, if you've ever been to Capernaum, ever been to the Holy Land, that Peter's house is right next door to the synagogue. Maybe he was at Peter's house. We're not sure. But he was there and the people knew who he was. And people wanted to hear what he had to say. And he was speaking the word to them. Last week we saw from the end of Mark 1 that Jesus actually said that was part of his purpose at this time in his ministry was to proclaim the word of God. To preach 
That, that Greek word, keruso, means to publicly proclaim. That's what's missing in our world today. That's what's missing in our culture. Because when someone, Jesus or you or me as followers of Jesus, when we stand and we proclaim, thus says the Lord, we're sharing both the perspective of God, how God sees whatever issue we're talking about, and then not only his perspective, but his will, what he wants to have happen in that situation. And wouldn't you agree that's missing in our culture today? Everybody puts an expert on a talk panel, talk show panel, and they want to know their opinion of a certain thing. And even sometimes Christian leaders are called to be part of talk shows and they're asked their opinion. Well, guess what? Their opinion, my opinion, your opinion doesn't really matter. (laughs) What matters is what God thinks about a particular thing. And that's missing from the conversation today in our culture. But in Jesus' day, Jesus came to have that conversation, to say, thus says the Lord. And you remember in chapter 1, The Bible says that the people who heard Jesus teach recognized that he taught as one having authority. He knew what he was talking about, and people recognized that about him. He did know what he was talking about because he was God. So obviously he knew how to describe and explain the perspective of God and the will of God. That's also what we're called to do. So that's just a side note this morning to say that, that he's here and he's teaching the word of God, but not everyone's there. In fact, the Bible says that there's a man who is paralyzed, he's disabled, and he's not able to get there on his own. The house is full, so full that these people who came to hear Jesus and and some of them who came suspicious of Jesus to see what he would do next, kind of, none of them will move over and let this man who clearly has a great need in to be where Jesus is. So these friends come together and they get a plan. And, and that's where I want to land this morning and talk about with you. Just share some simple truths because I believe that God, through the Holy Spirit, led Peter through Mark to write this story down and include it in Scripture for our benefit. There's things in this story that we need to discover. Things that we can discover, that we can apply to our lives, that we can own. That when we walk out of here, we can actually do something different with in our lives. And it will make a difference in the way that we live our lives So the last time I preached a few weeks ago, I talked about leadership. And I talked about how today many pastors will identify that the greatest need of their church is leaders, developing leaders in their church. And so certainly there's a corporate level of leadership that our churches need. But also, personally, there's a level of leadership that each of us need to take responsibility for. And that is the responsibility to lead other people to Jesus. Now, I bet if I asked you, if I could bring you up here one-on-one and ask you this morning... The greatest decision that you've ever made in your life, I bet most of you would say, especially since I'm about to tell you the answer to the question, I bet most of you would say the greatest decision you've ever made in your life was to put your trust in Jesus Christ. But you'd probably say that even if I hadn't tipped you off, right? So why is it that we are so hesitant to then lead other people to that decision? The Bible says that that's a part of our call. In fact, our church's mission is we are people leading people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's our mission. We are a church full of people who are seeking to lead other people personally, lead them. And so there's things in this story today, there's three simple truths that I think can help us. Now, I preached on this passage about a year ago. So this is a different sermon than I preached last year. And probably if I preach on it next year, I'll come up with some other things to talk about. Because the reality is there's a lot in this passage, even though it's a simple story of four friends trying to get their friend to Jesus. Okay? The first thing I want you to see this morning is that leaders initiate you seek to lead your friends to Jesus, somebody has to make the first move. In this guy's case, he physically couldn't get himself to where Jesus is. So he needed help. 
And I don't know at what point, if this was the idea of one of the four friends or if all four of them are sitting in their house isolated from one another and all of a sudden they all have the same idea or if two of them have the idea and they go get the other two. Not sure how it worked out, but for four men to get together and agree on a plan is pretty amazing in itself, right? And they did. And so they had some kind of a plan. There had to be a conversation. Somebody had to start that. Somebody had to initiate it. Somebody had to say, hey, Jesus is here today and our friend is crippled. He can't get there on his own. If we could get him to Jesus, there's a chance that maybe Jesus would heal him because we know Jesus can, because we know who Jesus is. So if we got our friend to where Jesus is, maybe something miraculous could happen in his life. And so there was a plan. There was some sense of initiation. And all four accounts, or all three accounts of this in the Gospels, in Matthew and Luke's account, also describe that there were, there were multiple people involved in this. It wasn't just one person. One person probably couldn't have done it alone. It required teamwork. They had to work together. So the thing you know about leaders is that leaders take the first step. Followers often are waiting for the leader to step up and take the first step. Which are you? You say, well, I'm, it depends on the situation. Sometimes I'm a leader, sometimes I'm a follower. Yeah. But when it comes to your friends who don't know Jesus, when it comes to people in your life who are acquaintances, coworkers, neighbors, relatives, friends of your kids, when it comes to your own children, you are given the responsibility, I am given the responsibility to lead other people. So is that how you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as someone who's on the planet primarily to help lead other people? Or do you just think that's my job or somebody else's job on staff or the rest of our staff or, or your connect group leader or someone who is called a leader? The reality is all of us who know Jesus are given that responsibility and really that privilege. And so do you know someone in your life right now that you would say needs Jesus? You're not sure about where they are in their relationship with Jesus, but you're pretty sure they don't know Jesus. And you would say that their life, like this man's, needs some help. And that if you were asked them, they would say, I want help in my life. This man needed help to get to Jesus. So who's one person, just one person that you could identify right now in your life that you would say, I know them. I have some kind of a relationship with them, but they don't know Jesus. And if, you, if you're honestly here this morning saying, I don't know anybody like that then all you have to do, there's three simple steps. All you have to do is start by simply asking the Lord to lead you to someone because he cares for people more than you do even. And he will do that. If, if you sincerely ask him to lead you to someone who needs him, I guarantee you, I guarantee you he will do that. And probably that will happen the next few days. He will bring someone to your mind that you already have a relationship with or he'll bring someone into your life that you don't currently have a relationship with and he'll give you the opportunity to start a relationship with them, a relationship of leadership. So that's the first step. The second step is once he, had, he shows you who that person is, then the second thing is to ask him, Lord, would you allow me to have a conversation with that person? And in my experience, when I've done that, he always makes that happen. I don't have to figure out when that's going to happen. I don't have to orchestrate that and manipulate that. And No. But I need to be ready for it. I need to be anticipating that. I need to be excited about that because he's going to do it. Oftentimes I walk past it and go, oh man, I missed it. That was my chance. I prayed about that on Sunday and I missed it. He might do that by Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. He may give you that opportunity and you think, man, I missed it. That's okay. You can go back and say, hey, I realized that I should have had a conversation with you. You opened the door for this conversation, maybe on our front porch, in the cubicle next to you, at the water fountain, at the copier, whatever it might be. 
at the sports field and I missed it. So I wanted to come back and circle back with you and talk about something that's really important to me. The third thing, so the first thing is ask God to lead you to somebody. Ask God to give you the opportunity to have a conversation with him and he will. Promise you he will. And it might be a conversation over text or email. It might not be an in-person conversation initially. But God will work miracles and bring you to that place where you're aware of that. And the third thing is that when you get to have that conversation with them, you can ask them this. What's the most important thing I could pray for you about right now? What would you say the most important thing is I could pray for you? Because I pray for you. And, and you can't say that unless that's true. So if you're praying for this person, once God shows you who they are, then to ask them, what's the most important thing I could pray for you about? And... Most all of us have something in our life we could name right now that we would say, if you're going to pray for me, pray about this, whatever this thing is. So it's a way to get in touch with their needs and start the conversation. So if you'll just do those three things, you'll be amazed at how God will allow you to start the process of leading someone else. But that means that you've got to initiate. Initiate by asking God, then initiate by willing to have a conversation. And then when you have the conversation, initiate by actually asking them what you can pray with them about. It works for children, it works for teenagers, it works for adults. I promise you, if you'll just take those three simple steps, it works. I had a young man in my first youth ministry that um, we had a gymnasium next to our church, and so we'd have game nights and things, and this, this young man was 14 years of age. He came with his sister, who I knew, I didn't know him, but I knew his sister, and uh, all he was interested in was ball, any kind of ball. He played all kinds of sports, and so we had a game night. We were playing basketball and volleyball and stuff, so he came up, and Someone told him while we were there, and I'll, I'll just stop and say this. Anytime someone brought a kid to my youth group, I always saw that as God did that. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just because they liked to play volleyball or basketball. God was bringing them into the influence of our church because they were going to hear the gospel. Same thing is true here this morning. If you're here this morning, I don't think you're here by accident. And I take this very seriously when I'm up here, and I know David does too, to say that God brought you here. You're here because God drew you here this morning for some reason. Okay? So this young man came in. And uh, someone told him that I had an old truck. I had a 55 Ford truck in my garage. And uh, he came up to me and he said, hey, I hear you have an old truck. And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, what, what are you doing to it? And I said, well, I'm fixing it all up. In fact, it's torn completely apart right now in my garage. Everything's off. The, the cab's off. The doors are off. The bed's off. Everything's completely. It's just the frame. All the pieces are there. He goes, could I see it? I said, yeah, if you'll stick around tonight when this is over with, we'll walk over there and I'll show it to you. I lived across the parking lot from the church. So we walk over there and look at it. And he goes, man, this is this is what I love to do. He goes, this is my dad and I, my dad's an alcoholic and we don't really get along. We don't have a great relationship because he drinks all the time. But when he's sober, occasionally we work on his old truck together and it's the only connection that we really have. And he said, I, I love old cars and trucks. And so I said, well, guess what? Saturday morning, I'm going to be out here working on this truck and I would love for you to come hang out with me and work on the truck. And what we're going to do is we're going to scrape 30 years of grease and crud off this truck. Okay especially off the frame because I'm getting ready to paint it. Would you like to do that? He goes, yeah, man, I'd love to. I'll be here. So he came over that Saturday morning, and he and I scraped all the crud off that truck and cleaned it up really good. He was so proud. I was so proud of it. And during that, I had a conversation with him about his spiritual needs and asked him where he was, asked him what he believed in. He didn't believe in Jesus. He didn't know much about Jesus. I asked him where he would go if he died. He didn't really know the answer to that question either. He, did, he wasn't prepared for anything in life, especially not eternity. And so I got a chance to have that conversation with him. About a month later, I got to lead him to Jesus. I got to lead him to the place where I said, now, it's your decision, but you know all the things you say now that you believe that Jesus is the Savior. Now it's your, your job, your responsibility to decide to actually put your trust in him and follow him. And he said, that's what I want to do. 
So I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. He's 51 years of age today. He's a father of six kids. He has a deacon in his church. He's got a great ministry. It's cool to see God transform somebody's life that God brings into your life that you get to lead. But some point, I had to initiate. I'm not glorifying me. I'm just saying when you're a leader, you have to take the first step. What are we waiting for? Are we waiting for people to come to us and say, you know, your life seems so awesome. What is it about your life that's so awesome? It must be Jesus. Can you tell me about this Jesus? Has that ever happened to you? Hadn't happened to me. So who has to initiate? We're waiting on lost people to initiate with us? That doesn't make sense. What you see in this story is these four friends care about their, their friend who's disabled, and they want to they get him to Jesus, and they care enough to take the first step. That's what we do. We have to initiate. We have to be the ones that start, to take action. And when you see that God strategically places you in the lives of other people, then it's not difficult to see that God's using you to lead them to him. So I would say this just as a starting place this morning, right when I'm talking, you can stop right where you are and you can pray and ask the Lord to lead you to someone this morning. I just encourage you to do that right now. If you can pray that sincerely, with your eyes open, with your eyes closed, it doesn't matter. Lord, who is someone that you want me to lead to you, who needs you? You could do that. So leaders initiate. Second thing you see from this passage is that leaders collaborate. They work together. There were four of them. I don't think one of them could have done it on, their, on his own, couldn't have gotten him up on the roof and lowered him down. I mean, he's dead weight, essentially. He can't do anything to help himself. And so it took four of them. They had to work together, and their plan A didn't work. We'll just take him to the house, and certainly the people in the house will feel compassion for him. He's crippled and can't walk himself, so they'll move out of the way and let us in the house so we can get him to Jesus. Is that what happened? No, not at all. So now they got to have a plan B. Somebody had to come up with plan B. And plan B's crazy. Plan B's like, we're going to go up on these people's roof and tear the roof off their house and lower this guy down to the roof, right? That's crazy. We're going to need a saw. We're going to need a shovel or some rope. We're going to need a ladder maybe. This is a crazy plan we've got, but we're going to do it because it's so important that we're going to work together to get this guy to Jesus. So it took collaboration on their part. Now, when you're trying to lead your friends to Jesus, let me tell you some things that collaboration does for you. First, it provides for you accountability. I mean, you guys have been in our church long enough, many of you, that you know that we emphasize this a lot in our church. We encourage, we challenge all of us as members of our church to be out sharing our faith with people. And that's hopefully going to continue here. We get a new pastor. I hope that's going to continue. That's who we are as a church. It's very important. We want to share the gospel. We don't want to just let people figure it out on their own. We want to initiate and be the leaders that, that God wants us to be in their lives. But we collaborate. We work with other people. We don't do it all by ourselves. And one of the things leadership provides or a collaboration provides is it provides a sense of accountability because you can invite other people, your connect group leaders, someone who's in your connect group, someone who's sitting next to you this morning, a friend here at church, to say, you know what? I'm working on this person in my life. I'm trying to lead them to Jesus, but I'm getting discouraged. It's hard. I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You know, I would like to ask you, as someone that I love and trust, to ask me how it's going in my efforts to lead this person to Jesus. You're asking for accountability. You're saying I'm giving a person permission to ask me how it's going. And that's good because if I don't have that, I might quit. Have you ever quit on somebody? Just got discouraged and given up on them? It's not working. It's not getting anywhere. This is not moving forward. I mean, I was excited at first about it and things seem to be going good and now things seem like they've stalled out and 
Not getting anywhere. Having accountability means that someone's going to ask you and pray for you, which is so important. How's it going with your friend? Well, let me tell you, I'm discouraged about that. You know, I'm down about that. It's not working out too well. Well, let me, let me pray with you about that. And we should be able to do that with each other. We should be able to pray for each other in our efforts to lead people to Jesus. But the reality is when we ask someone to check on our progress, we're sort of taking it out of the realm of anonymity and we're saying this is real and I, and I really want to see this happen. Again, I can't decide for this person. My responsibility is to try to lead them to the point where they know enough who Jesus is and they uh, come to a place where they want to put their trust in him. So I need some accountability. The second thing that collaboration provides is it provides creativity. Now, I don't know whose idea plan B was in this group. We don't even know these guys' names. But one of them had the idea for plan B. They probably didn't all immediately say, yeah, let's tear somebody's roof up. They, in fact, if you were one of the four, what would you have said? You'd be like, well, now, come on, guys, wait a minute. I don't know about going up on their house and like tearing their roof off. That seems like a little bit too, we're going a little too far. This is getting a little carried away, right? But no. They had some creative ideas. And sometimes when you're trying to lead your friend to Jesus and you hit a wall, you need to be able to ask somebody, hey, I don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. You got any ideas for me? Well, have you, have you taken a meal to their home? Oh, I didn't think about that. Have you done something for them? Have you served them in some way to show them the love of God? And they're like, well, I didn't think about that either. So sometimes when we invite other people into our desire and effort to lead someone to Jesus, we get some creative ideas that maybe we didn't have on our own. People have helped me. I've tried to help other people with that. That's what we do when we fellowship together. We get some creativity that uh, otherwise we might not have. And then collaboration brings encouragement. It's just helpful to know that someone is cheering you on. Someone's encouraging you to continue in your effort to lead people to Jesus. But, but I got to just stop and ask the question this morning. I should have asked it earlier, actually. Do you want to lead people to Jesus? Do you care that people without Jesus will wind up in a horrible place called hell for eternity with no back door, no escape, no hope. Does that bother you? I mean, do you, do you care enough for the people that you work with and live next to and have in your family? Do you care enough about them to pray and work and seek a creativity and seek accountability and seek encouragement to be able to lead them to Jesus? Do you care? How long has it been since you've even started a conversation with somebody about Jesus? I'm not here to make you feel guilty, but... There's something wrong when the church full of people never share their faith with anybody. That's not the way this goes. That's not the way this is supposed to work. The other thing that, that collaboration does is it recognizes the sovereignty of God. Because what you'll find when you seek to lead other people to Jesus is that somebody was there before you. Oftentimes. That God's already working in that person's life. If he's leading you to lead them, he's already been at work in their life. I had that experience early on, and some of you have attended the Discover Membership class here at Moberly, and I always share this story because it's the first time that I remember the Holy Spirit just speaking to me very clearly and asking me to not just ask me, commanding me to share my faith with someone. I was driving home one night from church. I've been a Christian for about a year. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm driving home about, I live five miles outside the city, and so the last little part of civilization is this little country store, and I'm driving by, and I just listen to my Christian music, and I look over there, and I see this Camaro. I'm a car guy. I can tell you what kind of car you drive, probably, if, I, if I've ever seen you get out of your car, because I remember that weird stuff. So I knew this Camaro, and I recognized the guy's name was Kevin, the guy that I'd gone to junior high with and was in high school with, not close friends with, but knew him. Obviously knew he had a Camaro. You know, he had a cool car. I'm driving on, and it's like the Holy Spirit goes, turn around and go share your faith with Kevin. What? <laughs> I've never done that. I don't know how to do that. 
I've never been to a class for that. I wouldn't know what to say. I'm not even sure how it just turn around, go in and talk to Kevin about me. No, 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 no. I don't want to do that. I don't know how to do that. I'm just arguing with God, drive all the way to my house, up the driveway, turn my truck off. And I'm sitting there going, I know I'm not going to sleep tonight if I disobey the Lord. He's very clearly telling me to do something that I don't know how to do, that I don't want to do, that I'm scared to do. Start the truck up, back up, head off down the driveway, head off down the street. And I'm going, now my heart's just about to beat out of my chest. You know, I'm scared to death. And I go, I don't know what I'm going to say when I get down there. And God, if I get down there and there's another car in the parking lot, I'm not stopping. There's no way. Well, I get down there, there's no other car in the parking lot. It's like nine o'clock at night, right? So I say, I'm going to drive around the block once, you know, just a little more time. I go around the block and come back. There's no car in the parking lot. So I pull in, I get out, I go in the store. Kevin's reading the newspaper. He's kind of flipping through the newspaper, looks up. Hey, man. I said, hey, man, um, better go buy something. So I go back and get a Coke bring it up there and set it down. And I still have no idea what I'm fixing to say to this guy. I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm scared to death. And I go, uh, yeah, just, yeah, here's the Coke, need to buy that, whatever. So he's making change. And I said, hey, okay, this is going to sound totally crazy. But about a year ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And as I was driving by here tonight, I feel like the Lord told me to stop and turn around and come back and ask you if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Whew, there, I've said it, you know. You know what he said? He goes, that's crazy. Because two weeks ago, a guy came in here about the same time of night and asked me the same question and gave me a Bible. And I've been reading that Bible every night before I go to bed and I have no idea what it's about. Can you explain it to me? I got blessed that night, y'all. I got, my fear was gone. It was like all of a sudden, I knew that God had a plan for Kevin. Now, he didn't receive Christ that night, but we had a good conversation. And then people started coming in the door, you know, not before I got there, but then they started coming in. But I had a good conversation. He later received Christ as his Savior. Now, here's the cool thing about that. When you collaborate, when you work with other people, when you work with the Holy Spirit, you realize that God's already at work in people's lives, that he's leading you to help. So you might be the first person to get there, but you might be the second or the eighth, the 10th or 11th or the person who gets to actually lead them to Christ. But that's a huge blessing in your life when you get to be someone who leads someone else to Jesus Christ. In fact, I will say to you, there's nothing better in life than to know that you had a part of helping someone's eternity change. It's so important and so huge. And so when we collaborate, we recognize the sovereignty of God. The third thing today that I want you to see, not only do leaders initiate and collaborate, but they anticipate. This is so important. Leaders can see what their friend's life would be like with Jesus, even when they can't see anything else about that in their person's, their person's life. In other words, when they look around that person's life and they see all the symptoms of their lostness, they see their language and they see their addictions and maybe they see their bad relationships, they see other failings in this person's life, they see their sin. And they stop there and go, wow, there's so much sin in this person's life, I don't think they could ever come to Jesus Christ. No, 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 no. What you have to do as a leader is do what these four guys did. They saw what, ahead of time, what their friend's life would be like if they could get him to Jesus. They anticipated a preferred future, a vision. They said, look, this is what this guy's life will be like if we can get him to Jesus. He could walk again. He could actually get up and have a life again. Man, we got to do whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get this guy to Jesus. 
And they, they could see that ahead of time. They could anticipate that. We do, we do the same thing with people that we know who don't know Jesus. We don't get stuck on their symptoms. We look at their life and go, what could their life be like if they knew Jesus? What would it be like if they knew Jesus? And you guys have seen enough people's lives transformed by Jesus that you know what that looks like. So that's not a, that's not a hard thing to imagine, but the focus has to be on that. We have to say, what is it that we want to see and happen in our friends' lives? Look, Jesus recognized that they knew that, they, that these four men and, and the paralytic believed. They believed because Jesus said, the Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. So Jesus knew that they believed in him, that they trusted him. They knew he was who he said he was. Not just the four guys, but the paralytic too. So he saw their faith. And then Jesus did this thing. He forgave the man first. Why didn't he heal him first? Right? He needed healing. No, no, no. He, Jesus met his greatest need first. His greatest need was forgiveness. That's your greatest need. That's my greatest need. That's the greatest need of every person that God's going to lead you to in your life to lead to Jesus. Their greatest need is forgiveness. Yeah, healing is great, but healing is only good for the next 30, 40, 50, however many years you live on the earth. And after that, healing doesn't help you at all. But forgiveness lasts forever. Oftentimes I get the opportunity, because I'm a former youth minister, to do funerals of people who die who were in my former youth groups. And they're all younger than me, so oftentimes it's a tragedy when someone dies young. We see that as a tragedy. And many times in those moments, uh, there have been times when I've been able to share at funeral services this very important truth. Because oftentimes when you look at somebody's life and, and at an early age they receive Jesus as their Savior, but then they didn't always follow through on living for him. And what I always say in those moments, if I get the opportunity to, is as church people, we really kind of get this wrong. We, we think that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Wrong. Forgiven people go to heaven and unforgiven people go to hell. That's the truth. And so somebody who's died, whether they live for the Lord or not, if they knew the Lord, if they ever put their trust in Jesus Christ, then they're forgiven, not because of their own goodness, not because they earned it by living a righteous life. That's, that's not biblical. None of us can ever earn our own way to heaven. None of us. And so Jesus in this moment meets this man's greatest need. He saw this man's faith. He always sees our faith when we put our faith in him. And Jesus said, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or take up your mat and walk? He met his greatest need. Jesus is the only one that God authorized to come to earth and be able to forgive sins. So yes, what we believe as Christians is very narrow because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father unless he comes by me. There's no other way. There's no other way. And so the people in your life that need Jesus might look, their life might look like they have less than you. They may have less stuff than you. They may have more needs than you, or they may have more stuff than you. They may not need any of the things you need. They may be up and out versus down and out, but either way, they're still out. Either way, they still need Jesus. And so we can't look at their lives and say, wow, they really have their life together. They don't need Jesus. What? They're going to die and face eternity. They're going to need Jesus then, aren't they? Absolutely. So they need him now. So we anticipate not only what their life could be like with Jesus, but we anticipate what their life will be like without Jesus. We look ahead for them. We look into the future and say, you need Jesus. And whether you realize it or not, that's your greatest need is for forgiveness from Jesus Christ. When you have Jesus, 
You change, your position before God changes. You go from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. You go from being a slave to sin to now being able to be a slave to Jesus. You go from being um, condemned to pardoned. You go from being a stranger now being a child of God. Your position before God changes forever and every person needs that. That's every person's greatest need. And so we see that Jesus met this man's need, his greatest need. You know, that's a great question. Not only should you, and can you ask someone you know, what their, what their most important thing you could pray for them about is right now. But you could also ask them, hey, what's your greatest need right now? Because oftentimes people don't realize their greatest need is for forgiveness. Well, let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says your greatest need is forgiveness. That without the forgiveness of God, you can't go to heaven. You won't go to heaven. And you won't have the kind of life here that God designed and created you to have. You may have more toys than I have. You may have more money than I have. But you won't have a better life here. Do you believe that? Without Jesus, can they have a better life here? No. They certainly can't have a better life later in eternity. So this morning, I'll go back to what I said a minute ago. If you want to be used by God in someone's life, like these four men were, to lead someone to Jesus, all you have to do is ask. And so I'm going to ask you just to bow your head this morning, close your eyes. And as we close, I'm going to ask you to do that very thing, if you will. Sincerely ask the Lord this morning, Lord, who is one person that you want me to lead to you? Ask the Lord. And if you already know who that person is, then ask the Lord the second thing. Lord, would you give me an opportunity to have a conversation with that person this week? And then be ready. And then with every head bowed and every, eyes, every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you realize that you've never actually put your trust in Jesus Christ, you need Jesus more than anything else. Your greatest need is not to be able to pay your bills this month. It's not to even have God heal your marriage. Your greatest need is not your rebellious kid. Your greatest need is forgiveness from him. That's your greatest need. And the Bible says there's salvation in no one else for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus alone can and will forgive you of your sin if you put your trust in him. And so this morning, if you're ready to do that, I'd like to lead you in a time of just calling on the name of the Lord because the Bible says whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So if that's you this morning and you'd say, I need that, I realize I need forgiveness this morning more than anything else. Would you just slip your hand up. Just be bold about it. I want to pray with you. I want to lead you to the Lord this morning. If you have your hand up this morning, I'm going to lead you in a simple time of doing exactly what the Bible says, calling on the name of the Lord. There's no magic words. It's a, it's a, it's a uh, presentation of your heart. It's a representation of your heart to say to the Lord, I believe in you, I trust in you, I have faith in you, but I want to I want you to save me this morning. So you can say something to the Lord just like this. Dear God in heaven, I believe in Jesus. I believe he's the savior of the world. I believe he died for me. And I want to repent of my sin. I reject it. I don't want it. I want Jesus most of all. I want to be saved. Would you come into my life today and forgive me of every sin and save me? Help me to live in a way that honors you, that leads other people to you. For I pray in Jesus' name this morning, amen.